In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Cleveland. I finally got rid of my co-host Jack and I'm here with Scott Pentrack. Scott, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Paul. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you very much for your time. And just in case uh, no one didn't know about you, you're the Browns writer for the, for the uh, Chronicle, Telegraph, Telegram, uh, Brown Zone. Did I say that yeah. correct or do you want to find yeah. you? You're good. Chronicle, Telegram, um, Brown Zone. Uh, yeah, second time doing this. So that's exciting. Excellent. So uh, tell us, Scott, you were with the Browns at the Combine. Did you hear anything about the OBJ uh, rumor? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You know, you kept hearing it for a while. I mean, even back to last year before he signed the contract. Um, But I talked to Dave Gettleman. I was part of the group talking to him. And then we talked to John Dorsey. And neither one of them, I, I think Gettleman tried to quash the whole thing when he said we didn't sign him to trade him. You know, and Dorsey kind of left the door open saying he knows my cell phone number. But I never got the sense that it was going to get done. And I think the reason for that is the Giants wanted too much, in my opinion. And between the combine and Tuesday, when the trade gets done, they kind of close the gap. And whether that was Jabril Peppers, you know, the Giants are kind of viewing him as a first-round pick, which I'm not buying, but that's what they're trying to sell. And the fact that John Dorsey went back to Gettleman with this offer, um, you know, and they were able to get it done. But I think to say that a month ago or whatever, three weeks ago at the Combine, that anybody knew it was going to get done, I think that's premature. But I also think to say that it just popped up Tuesday, that's not correct either. You know, it's been kind of bandied about for a while. Yeah, and let's be honest, uh, we all, social media, Beckham linked to the Browns has been going on probably for a good four weeks, six weeks of – yeah, constantly going on and people saying it's not going to happen. And then bang, it happens. We've right. Been- and, and, you know, and I don't know how much of that to believe. I think some of that smoke could have been regarding that Vernon Zeitler trade, the first part of that trade with the Giants. But even last year, I mean, he signed the deal in August. But before August, Jarvis Landry was talking about the deal. Um, it, it felt like the Giants were willing to move on. But then when they signed him to the six-year whatever was it six year 90 million dollars or five year 90 million dollars all of a sudden you think it's not going to be possible anymore because why would you commit that kind of money to a guy to trade him seven months later that's what doesn't make sense and it still doesn't make sense I think people in New York and me are still scratching our heads because this deal got done do you think the long contract just made him a giant and have the long a period to make a trade at any time well, in one sense, yes, but the fact that they had to take, I think it's 19 million cap hit or 16 million cap hit, like there's no need for them to do that. They could have just let the contract play out or traded him a year ago. I, I think there was conflict within a Giants organization, some people not wanting to trade him and some people kind of being sick of Odell. And for whatever reason, that faction of the Giants won out. They said, you know what, we can get compensation for him. We think, you know, we 
we we'd be better move it we'd be better without him or at least not that much worse without him and you know that's significant and I think it's something for the Browns to be aware of because now you're getting this guy who some people think is a headache but you don't sign that guy to that deal with the intention of trading him because you pay him 21 million dollars for one season and then you take that big cap hit it's just not a smart organizational move and to me nothing really changed the the big change was when he did that ESPN interview last year and he wasn't supportive of Eli but even that to me isn't significant enough to give up on the guy so you know and I'm not trying to sound like a homer here but I, I do think the Browns got the better end of this deal assuming Odell plays like Odell can play and stays relatively healthy yeah I think it's when you look at the deal I think it's great we obviously got it was the Shelton uh, pick. So, you know, that came out of basically nothing. And that was great. And, uh, yeah, it, it's cost us the first round and and Peppers. And I was one of Peppers' biggest fans last year. And, yeah, I'm really ashamed to see him go. But having talent like Beckham in your team, that could be a real game changer. Right. And, and it's a number 17 pick. It's not a top five or top 10 pick. So I think that is good for the Browns. I'm sure the Giants were looking for better in the first round. And Peppers, I've always been torn on him. I didn't like the draft pick when it happened. And then he grew on me from talking to him and watching him. And I like his work ethic. And I think he is a playmaker, but we just didn't see enough of those plays. So for the Giants to consider him a first-round pick, I mean, he was number 25. And to me, he never lived up to number 25. So I don't think, to me, there's no way that would have prevented me from making this trade for Odell. Yeah, I did think like returning kicks, punts, I thought he was going to be a lot more of a right. bigger player, to be honest. Especially yep. what he was sure. doing in Michigan. I, I expected that like big player to come in. Yeah, and you saw him, I mean, at Michigan, the ball in his hands, you watch his high school film, like he was a playmaker with the ball. And we just never saw, we didn't see enough of that. We saw, you know, the big sack against Denver. You know, we saw an interception at the end of his rookie year, but just not enough. Not, not enough where you said, I got to hang on to this guy. Yeah, great. And uh, another tweet that's come up today, Ogba. I know Zagura said, look, chill out, everyone, don't worry. But where there's smoke, there's fire. Can we see him being traded? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if anything's imminent, you know, and I think that's what Nathan was trying to get across. But in today's NFL, if you, if you trade for a guy, or even draft a guy that's going to become the starter and you shift somebody to a backup and that guy's a pretty high pick, then you can just assume that you're going to move on from that guy. And, and that's a situation we're in with Ogba. I mean, the guy was a number 33, number 32 pick only a couple of years ago. Hasn't produced like people thought he would. He's had some health issues. And all of a sudden, you're going to say, okay, you're going to be our fifth, you know, or our third defensive end. And, and I think Ogba says, you know what, go put me somewhere where I can have a chance to start. And that just isn't here with Garrett and Vernon. So I don't think the Browns should be in a rush to trade him. His contract is extremely team-friendly because he's still in the rookie contract. Having said that, it, it just becomes one of those circumstances where I think everybody feels you're better off moving on. But the Browns should stand, in my opinion, the Browns should stand firm and say, we're not going to trade you unless we get a quality return. And I, don't, I can't say what that is. Is it a third-round pick? Is it a fourth-round pick? Is it moving up in the draft so you get a higher pick? Um, but I just don't think they should give Agbo away. And I also feel like if you put him on the market, there's going to be multiple teams interested and you have a chance to drive up that price. Because he is a 
he is a he's not a stud, but he's a quality NFL player, and you can do worse. You can have worse defensive end starters than Emmanuel Agba. But remember last season, we were coming into the season, we had like four quality linebackers, and we were saying, how are we going to fit them all into the uh, – keep them all happy? Yeah. I don't know. Three or four games in, we've got two linebackers playing, you know, and I don't think you can um, – I think sometimes we worry too much about who's starting, and the depth across 16 games in the season is really important. No, you're right. And I think in a vacuum, you would say there's no reason to trade Agba. He, maybe he's the best or one of the best third defensive ends in the league. So from that aspect, I really get it. I just think kind of the reality is when you have this big of a change, it's tough to keep, it's tough to keep that guy. And maybe Agba's got the right personality and you can keep him and you just say, hey, we're not trading you, so live with it. But I've seen too many examples where this happens and then the player gets traded. That's just all it is. And you've got to remember, Olivier hasn't had the best of health records over the last two years. So I'm with you, but they also have Chad Thomas. You know, third-round pick who didn't play at all last year, and I think they want to get in the rotation. Chris Smith is still on the team. You know, Gennard Avery, I know Dorsey mentioned him as a starter at linebacker, but he played a lot as just a DN pass rush guy last year. So I think they have other options besides Agba. But like I said, I'm, I would be in no rush to trade him. I just don't want people to think for sure he's going to be here because if I were betting, I'd be betting he's traded. Yeah. And even even looking at our depth, you got Zettler. You know, I thought he played really well last year. And, uh, you know, a value pick. Obviously, we've got the cap space this year, but going forward as a value pick. Right. Well. And, and it's a deep draft, right? It's a deep draft for ends. You know, you figure you could get somebody at some point. Um, but like I said, you, you, and the same applies, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, to Duke Johnson. You just don't want to give these guys away. But their value does decrease when you have somebody in front of them because it's just not a third end or that running back who's going to be expendable just isn't as important. You've got to remember with uh, Duke, though, is that he's got eight games where he is going to be on third downs, probably, yeah, a very high percentage, and he's going to be getting on the pitch at the same time with uh, Chubb as well. So I, I well, can't... Yeah. Obviously, I mean, would you trade him? Well, my, my view is if you're going to trade him, trade him as early as possible and try and get the, the maximized uh, value you can get for him, and that's a commercial decision rather than an emotional decision. Um, do you agree with that or? I do. Well, I don't, I don't think, I think Duke's value will be the greatest between right now and draft day and during the draft. And once the draft's over, then no, because teams will have drafted running backs. You can sign running backs. You can pick guys up and free agent, you know, in during the summer and guys are cut. So I do think the window for Duke is in the next six weeks. Yeah. Having right. said that. You know, what, what John Dorsey has to weigh is how, is how important is it to have Duke for eight games is insurance versus getting whatever you get now. And, and that's what I think he has to weigh. And, again, I really like Duke. And I like Duke as a player. I like talking to Duke. And I think he is valuable to this organization. But if, if as a player, you know your window is over week nine because they're bringing in the former, you know, rushing leader in the NFL, then you're not going to be happy. You know, I think Duke can be moody. He's never really, you know, he's never really spoken out in public, but you get the sense that Duke can be 
moody. If he's not getting the ball, you know, he's kind of given that tone in interviews. And I, I just feel that from a, from a playing perspective, you're not better off. But overall, I think Dorsey would be comfortable or would be fine going eight weeks without Duke Johnson if he can get anything in return. And he'll figure out a way, whether it's Dontrell Hilliard and a draft pick, you know, Dontrell Hilliard and assign somebody off the street to play eight games. Uh, it, it just feels like, you know, not giving away, but if he gets the right offer back, he'd be more than happy to move on from Duke. Do you think Freddie Kitchens is going, Dorsey, whatever you do, keep, give me Duke for the yeah. season. I want every single crazy offensive move that I can possibly do, and I want him on, in, in part of that. Well, it's interesting. I could see Freddie saying that, um, you know, but I also will say this. Freddie, when he took over as coordinator in the last eight games, I thought Duke would really take off, and he didn't. You know, and I, I don't know how much of that is a relationship, how much of that is just Freddie having a whole bunch of other stuff to worry about. Um, but I'm sure Freddie wants all the playmakers he can get. I would also say, though, if you have Chubb and you have Njoku and you have those three receivers, Duke's impact would be limited. I think is especially compared to where it was two years ago. And that's one of the reasons you can kind of sell yourself on the trade if John Dorsey decides to trade him. Now, it doesn't mean you cut him by any means. And you have to get something back. And whether that's a fourth-round pick, whether that's moving up from number 49 in the draft, you need something substantial to, to trade away Duke. But I also think, again, it's the same thing as Ivy. You have to take in that personal – kind of you have to take in that personal part of it and I think fans are quick to dismiss it and maybe maybe teams should be tougher and say you know forget this guy you know we're paying him whatever but there is an emotional thing here and Duke's going from a guy that was a big part of this team to week nine won't have a role and I just think it'd be tough for Duke to accept that coming in you know day one of training camp I just don't know could have a big injury, could have anything. I think, uh, I think sometimes someone like myself or us fans, we overthink things about starting and injuries. You never know what's around the next corner. And if you've got depth, solid depth, that can be a real game changer when we come to week eight and we've got a strong squad because of a few injuries. I, I, I can't argue it with you. I can't argue that point with you. I'll just say if you look at trades around the league, this stuff happens all the time. I mean, guys get cut, you know, you know, part of it's money and Duke's contract's favorable and so is Agba's. But, and to me, the biggest fact is, do we even know Kareem Hunt's going to be ready week nine? From that, I mean, the guy got in trouble, you know, four months ago. So, you know, if you trade Duke, it means you're 100% confident that Kareem Hunt will be ready to go week nine. And to me, that's not a guarantee but I think John Dorsey's way more confident in Kareem Hunt than I am. Yeah. And we've seen it with um, Flash, you know, Gordon, you know, like we're right. expecting him to come back and then he has a uh, another relapse. You know, we've got quite a lot of potential relapse players in our roster. Right. No, that's a, good, that's a great point. That's a great point. I just, while you and I might not trade Duke, I just think John Dorsey thinks differently. I guess that's my point. So I think fans should be prepared for Duke to be traded. Now, when Dorsey said um, uh, everyone's, I don't know, what do you say? Expendable. Expendable. That, for me, means he's keeping uh, Duke. It's a smokescreen. <laughs> whatever he says, it's the opposite. So, 
yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's fine. And um, another player I want to talk about is or position is kicking. I think we've last year if if we're going for this uh, uh, playoffs prom, prom, um, playoffs this year, we need to maximise every single points we possibly can. And last year we drew and we lost a lot of kicks. Surely we've got cap available to free lo- free load a kicker in and get him on board. So do you think Greg Joseph's safe? Well, I think Greg Joseph's going to have competition. I just don't expect it to be from a big name free agent like the Steven Goskowski that did New England. You know, he's became a free agent with New England. It just feels like Dorsey, and he said they're looking at every avenue, but I just get the sense that Dorsey's going to bring in a younger guy to compete with Greg Joseph, have him kick in training camp, see who performs best, and then kind of survey the waiver wire to see if somebody else pops up. Um, it, and I get your argument, and I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish kicker, but it almost feels like kicker in the league today is random. Whether or not a guy has a good year or not isn't necessarily based on what he did the year before. And while I know they have all the cap room, you know, you're going to pay Gasikowski four or five million dollars to maybe come in and make 75% of kicks when Joseph might do the same for 400 grand. And I just don't have the sense that Dorsey places a huge premium on that. And maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I feel like that's the way of the league. You feel you see very few kickers paid big money, and a lot of it goes to younger guys that are unproven. Mm. It's tough because I don't know, just. From a from a fan's point of view, and we've got that cap. I know Jack's my co-host. He always goes crazy about spending the cap, but front-load a deal and just guarantee them points. Like Scott, why why would you not just do that? Really, just front-load the best kicker we've possibly got, and then just try and get at least two or three more wins. It's got to be worth it, surely. Well, I do get that point, and I'd agree that you know all these fans, you know. You know, fans look at this roster and go, oh, my God, the Browns are going to score a ton of points. And, and maybe they will. But even if they do, games come down to field goals, right? I mean, we yeah. see the Patriots, the Chiefs, and the Rams. I mean, the best teams in the league play a lot of close games. Even the best teams in the league play a lot of close games. So you can't – I'm not diminishing the role of kicker necessarily. What I'm saying is I think you have to weigh everything and you say, okay, is this guy I'm going to go sign? Is he $4 million better than the guy I have? And I think that's a real discussion that they have within an organization and it's real money and it's real cap money that you can't roll over to the next year. You know, I think all those things are taken into consideration. And when you look at the cap space, it's going to be important to be able to roll over some of that cap space because guys like miles are going to come up for contracts and Randall and Schobert, if they decide to keep him and Baker eventually. So I don't think you can just spend it all. And I think kicker is a spot where maybe you can, be inexpensive and be a little cheap. And yeah, it might come back to bite you in the ass, right? And you hope not. And, you know, if, if, if you have a Zane Gonzalez type game like you did in New Orleans, everybody's going to be going nuts. But when I look at the roster, it's not my number one priority. And I could see if John Dorsey decides to go a different way. Okay, cool. Scott, you argued a very good point now. I'll leave it there. Um, next question for you is the draft. Can you see us trading up? I can. Now, I don't know how far you'd be able to trade up, right? If you want to get back in the first round, you're going to have to give up at least a second round pick next in 2020. And if you're going to be good, that's a low second round pick. So maybe you have to give up more than that. 
So, you know, I think Dorsey's going to have the question of, do I give up number 49 in Duke or number 49 in Agba and how far can that get me? And then, I mean, I, I think just giving up Duke or Agba gets you maybe 10 or 14 spots. If you want to get up to 30 or 28, then I think you got to throw in next year's number two, you know, and that's a lot. Um, but if the right guy's there, then we've seen Dorsey. We've seen him be aggressive. You know, he's got eight picks to play with. So it wouldn't stun me at all to see him make a move. I just don't know how realistic 49 to 29, let's say, is. 49 to 35 feels more real- realistic. Yeah, okay. Top of the, you can see us going top of the second day. More. Yeah, that yeah. seems to make that seems to make more sense to me. Um, like I said, I I think he'd be reluctant to give away that number two pick in 2020. But that that is kind of what it's going to take to get up there to the Pats territory. Is yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I researched or I saw. I think it was your buddy did that article today, and it makes sense to me. All those previous trades. It's that second round pick that really bumps it up, you know. So maybe you can do it a third and a four. You throw in three, four, and five. That'll get you up. But to jump to that bottom of the first round, you really got to give up something. Yeah, it's good. It's a good article, Jack did. And uh, yeah. But you, like you said, like if there's a need for someone like Duke, and yeah, that's when the chemistry happens. You know, it's like any market in the world. There's got to be need from both sides to, for a deal to happen. Yeah, I, I think me personally as opposed to getting a fourth round pick for Duke, which I think is probably all you would get for him moving from 49 to 35. I'm just throwing out the number. Um, I like that. Like I like using Duke in that way better because I think you really go after a player you like as opposed to just the Browns don't need another fourth round rookie. You know, they have a young team. They have a full roster. They have eight draft picks. I, I like really targeting a player to you like as opposed to the volume that they've done in the past. I just don't think they're in a spot where they need that volume of picks anymore. All right, Scott, last question for you. Draft night, night one. Are you going to stay up to the end thinking there's going to be a trade or are you just going to go to sleep? Well, no, I'll be working, so <laughs> I'll stay up. Um, but, you know, the last time they didn't have a pick was the first round pick was 08. And I remember going out to Berea and it was, it's a totally different vibe, you know, not having that first round pick and it'll it'll be even stranger now because we've had the Browns have had so many high high first round picks lately um but I would I would not go to sleep I would keep open the possibility the whole time but the expectation being that they won't and then the focus is who falls like who's still available at the end of the first round that maybe they can go get at the top of that second round it's Jeffrey Simmons that Mississippi State D tackle you know, if he's sitting there at the end of the first day, I could see John Dorsey really wanting to go get this guy, even though he probably won't play this year because of the ACL and he's got the character issues. He feels like a guy that John Dorsey would go target. Wow. Yeah, apologies. Um, I think for, I'm five hours ahead of you, obviously. So uh, for me, it starts at one o'clock in the morning. So it's, <laughs> a, it's a real big commitment. I, I can go sleep earlier than wake up early. So... Uh... Yeah, you can go to sleep. I'll stay up. You go to sleep. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Look, Scott, thank you very much for the t- time. Tell us, where can people find you? Yeah, it, the, all the articles are groundszone.com. And you can follow me at Twitter at Scott Petrak. Any articles you can give me? Any headlines that are coming out soon or it's all locked down? No, yeah, I'm, I'm working on one. We talked to Batonio last week about Austin Corbett stepping into that Kevin Zeitler role. 
So yeah. I'm going to have that up there tomorrow morning is my plan. And then I'm working on something about, I don't know when it'll come, but just the AFC North. You know, we've all talked about the Browns being the favorite now. You know, it, it'll be a real seismic change if they are. And just, you know, are they really the favorite in the AFC North? So I'm hoping to get that done this week. Excellent. Well, I look forward to reading that tomorrow, Scott. And thank you very much for your time. From my side, I think I've got a vlog that may be ready from the weekend. Scott, I met Odell Beckham in London. <laughs> well, a real one? It was a cardboard cutout. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, I tried my hardest. But he's still in Paris, uh, Odell is. So um, do you think the Browns are saying, come on, mate, need to get back to uh, America now? Or they're very happy with him being out there? Well, I think that's what happens when you get a guy that's got the off-field interest that Odell does. It is as famous as Odell. When he's in an off-season, he's got stuff to do. So I think they'll be happy if he shows up April 1st with the rest of the guy. Okay. And does does he does he have to come back as a new signing on April the 1st, or is he a vet now? Or Well, now that's – because Freddie's a new coach, the whole team's allowed to show up April 1st. So I expect – if not everybody, most everybody there April 1st. Yes. Um, it would be news if he's not there that day. Okay. okay. All right, excellent. Scott, thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to speaking to you in a couple of months' time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Scott. Take care. See you, buddy.